More of The Truth with Sherwin Hughes is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Truth. Sure, when you... It's a real good story in the Washington Post. It's an editorial about the Black Lives Matter movement, and they're comparing it to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Some of the comparison is fair. Some of it I don't think is. I think we have this romanticized and idealized picture of the 1960s civil rights movement that it was really well organized and well thought out and everything was well planned. No, it was a mess. I need y'all to know that bunch of people disagree with Dr. King. In fact, toward the end of his life, he was losing a lot of his popularity because, and it was good because he was evolving and he was turning his sights on Democrats in the North that were maintaining a kind of Jim Crow that went unnoticed. See in the South, it was overt in the North. It was covert. So as Dr. King started turning his attention more globally, because he was against the Vietnam war more about uniting people because poverty was the number one American problem. Dr. King was very, very clear and very explicit. See, this is the part of Dr. King that nobody wants to talk about. He says, I traveled the country. It's one thing that I've seen and I've seen it time and time again. Poverty does not know a race. You can't have poor black people and poor white people working together. That is why there were these classes that were created between the slave and the indentured servant. That is why the poor white person that made a very meager wage working right next to the slave had to be removed from the purview of the slave. Why? Because that poor white person eventually would have seen that their interests were tied to that of the slave. And if the two of them came together, because poor whites and slaves, essentially the same thing. Why were the whites poor? And so unless you became on the slave patrol or you were an overseer, those other whites, if they didn't own a plot of land, They had nothing. I mean, they were dirt poor, barefoot poor, couldn't feed themselves poor, eating raccoons and squirrel poor because they couldn't get jobs because the institution of slavery undermined the white working class. A plantation owner is not going to pay a white person to help farm and cultivate the land. The white plantation owner owned the slave, so he's not paying a wage for white people, but he would pay a wage for security. He would pay a wage for overseers to protect his investment in human property, you see. And so they had to separate. They had to say, well, I know you're poor. I know you don't have much as a white person, but at least you're not black. So we'll give you, we'll let you think that you're a part of the team. You have the same skin color as the people that are wealthy, that own the plantations and owned all the land. So you have that in common with us. So just be glad you're not black. Maybe we'll give you a job as an overseer. And so that is why that separation needed to take place, needed to take place. The black slave and the white poor in the South needed to become adversarial. Otherwise they would have revolted against the entire system. 
just like Dr. King trying to unite people under the guise of poverty. You're usually okay in this country until you start taking aim at capitalism. So capitalism, racism, homophobia, transphobia all reinforce one another. They all do. And so if you have one of those systems, then you're probably going to have all of them because they work in concert. The antithesis to that is something that America is not necessarily ready for. It is more of a communal approach to our policies and our politics and more of a communal approach to people, not communism, but looking out for the best interests of all of the people, not just the rich ones. Because right now what we do is we let the rich people make all the rules because we want to be like them because in a capitalist system, like that's the pinnacle. So the rich people must be smarter than us. They must know more than us because, of course, they have all the money. So we just allow them to make all the rules. And when they make all the rules, this America is what you get. You ever notice something on very rare occasions, if it happens ever, really, really wealthy people don't shoot each other. You notice that? I mean, they might embezzle money. They might commit fraud. They might do like forgeries and commit white collar crimes, but they don't kill each other. And they have just as many guns as anybody else's, but they don't kill each other. That's reserved for us. All the people who are not wealthy, who don't have generational wealth, they murder one another. It's a genius system when you think about it. All right, let's see what we got here. Um, 414865 says, you just described Winky. Mr. Matthews says, we already read that one. The caller says, <sighs> Senator Taylor is the most qualified politician in the state. You know, she's running for judge. Y'all know that she's going to be on the ballot April 4th. Are y'all going to vote April 4th? I'm just curious, but she's going to run or she is running for municipal court judge branch two. So she's going to be on your ballot. If you live in the city of Milwaukee and you plan to go vote, no matter where you live, no matter what district you live in, if you live anywhere in the city of Milwaukee, she will be on your ballot. So there is an opportunity to elect Lena to something, <laughs> to something other than the legislature. The caller also says the state of Wisconsin is lucky that Senator Taylor has not moved to Atlanta. Grant says, please read the entire. All right. Make sure I didn't miss any of your other messages. Okay, here we go. Grant says. Professor Hughes, I didn't hear this level of complaints directed toward Tom Barrett, although the city had the very same issues. If Mayor Chevy is doing that poorly and should lose his job, how surprised would you be if he's offered a job to work within the administration of the next Democratic president? Let me unpack some of that. The levels of complaints of Tom Barrett were absolutely there. But here's the thing with Tom Barrett. So there were a bunch of complaints, bunch of them, especially on black talk radio. WNOV where is my original radio home. Hell, that's all we did is lambasted Tom Barrett. But when he did something good, we called that out too. Now here's the other thing about Tom Barrett. He had courage. Like Tom Barrett would go anywhere. So there's, there's a Tom Barrett that is forgotten. There's a Tom Baird that when he was in Congress stayed in the black community. That was back in the days when we had this thing called pork barrel spending. And it was 
unchecked. It was unregulated. So pork barrel spending is okay. Um, there's um there's a constituency group in Milwaukee. Let's say it's uh, MPS, right? MPS needs thirty million dollars for after school programs. Okay, Tom Barrett would vote for a Republican bill, and to get his support on a Republican bill, and these were like benign Republican bills, not Republican bills like you see now that want to like recall and recount elections and want to do all that other stuff, but it's like benign stuff, right? Um, a half a percent decrease in the corporate tax rate, something simple, okay? Tom Barrett would vote for that bill and then he would have an earmark in that bill for his vote. And it would be $30 million for MPS. Or there was like a remake done of the housing projects in the city of Milwaukee where they try to do landscape and they put little awnings on some of the buildings. That was another earmark that Tom Baird would get. He used to bring so much money home to the hood from Congress. That is what kept him popular. That was the Tom Baird that a lot of us knew. The Tom Baird that would wear cheap suits that didn't fit real good. That was the Tom Baird that drove a damn 1987 Pontiac Grand Am that always ran out of gas. Tom Barrett used to be a man of the people. And so older generations that maintain Tom Barrett as mayor, they remember him. I'm not lying. Ran out of gas on second and center. And him and Terrence Ray, Terrence Ray say the story, pushing the damn car to the gas station. Oh, look, there go the congressman on second and center, pushing a 87, 1987 Pontiac Grand Am. First of all, why in the hell is a member of Congress driving a damn 1987 Pontiac Grand Am, even if it's in 1987? Well, it was in 1987 because it was... He got elected in 1992. But then when the rules of Congress changed, Tom Barrett was a less effective kind of congressman because he would just vote for whatever. But he really favored Milwaukee. But you got to keep in mind, we used to have two congressional districts in Milwaukee. Jerry Kleska represented the second district, which was the south side. Tom Barrett represented the fifth. Now it's all one because we lost population. So now we have one congressional district representing the entire city. And that's Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Now it's the fourth congressional district. Okay. Tom Barrett was a North side congressman, meaning he didn't represent anybody in Congress South of the freeway. Tom Barrett's constituents were black folks and some North shore people, but North shore liberals nonetheless. And so the people that vote remember that Tom Barrett. And as the complaints about Tom Barrett mounted grant, they came from people that don't vote, that don't have any political power. The complaints came from black people. Tom got reelected by black voters because they remember who he used to be. And really what Tom Baird did is he continued on a path toward urbanism that John Norquist started. So where I'm at right now, okay, I'm in the Third Street Market Hall, which used to be the Grand Avenue Mall. John Norquist was like, screw the suburbs. Forget Brookfield Square and Bayshore and Mayfair. We're going to put a mall in the middle of downtown Milwaukee. Mayor Norquist had the vision that he had of downtown 30, a damn near 40 years ago. My word is what's happening right now. Mayor Norquist wanted downtown to be walkable, wanted to be livable, wanted to have public transportation options like the streetcar, wanted to have neighborhoods like Walker's Point in the Third Ward. Because back in the 80s, downtown was a wasteland. Nobody lived down here. No, there was no housing down. All those condos weren't even built. None of that stuff even existed. So Tom Baird just basically followed a path and a trajectory that was set down by Mayor Norquist. I interviewed Mayor Norquist. He, he don't even mess with Milwaukee no more. He, I think he may still live here, but he worked in Chicago for many years. and He would take the train every single day to work. And I got the opportunity to interview him. This had to have been in 2012 or 20, no, more like 2013, 2014. 
And it was the first time he had done an interview on Milwaukee radio since he had been mayor. And he left the mayor's office in 2003 or four. Norcross has been gone for at least 20 years. And I'll never forget it because he basically said the vision that I have for Milwaukee, the the new Bucks Arena, the five serve forum, Northwestern Mutual. Now Northwestern Mutual is building another uh you know, half million dollar, half billion dollar rather investment downtown. Norquist laid all that down. And Tom Baird didn't even have to be imaginative or think outside the box because urban planning and cities goes out 50 years. Tom Baird just inherited that plan. It just went along with it, which is very like that's right on par for what legislators do. Cause Tom Baird is a legislator. He isn't really all that much of an executive because he delegates a lot of stuff. Tom Baird is not a slam your fist on the podium. This is what we're doing and we're going to do it my way. Tom Baird is more, well, what do you guys think? Because Tom Baird in all of his political life conferred with his colleagues in the state assembly. He conferred with his caucus. He got consensus in the state senate. He conferred with his colleagues when he was in Congress. He conferred with the Democratic caucus. As mayor, he conferred with his staff and his advisors that advisors that were very much gatekeepers of him. But he just followed an urban plan that had laid down before him. So when I interviewed Norquist, he was actually very happy at the time with the progress that the city was made. We were just starting to talk about the Bucks needing a new arena. So it must have been 2013-ish because the, the politics of the new Bucks arena was still just starting to take shape. But here's the thing that I remember about my interview with Mayor Norquist, the first time he had been on black radio, probably since he was running for reelection in the year 2000, he did not stop cussing. And I said, Mr. Mayor, you're on broadcast radio. Oh, sorry, Sherwin. Well, anyway, let me get back to this BS freaking fracking that I was talking about. So I was the freaking fracking mayor and none of it got edited. Probably one of the most beautiful, insightful interviews I ever did. I don't know how we didn't get banned by the FCC. That's how I know the FCC doesn't really listen. They don't really care. It's like if somebody files a complaint, then I guess the FCC has to investigate it. But Mayor Norquist cussed so much. And here's what's crazy. Nobody even said anything about it because I got took a lot of phone calls after my interview with Mayor Norquist was done. People were like, oh, wow, it was really good to hear from him. Oh, wow, that was that was a great interview, Sherwin. Not the fact that he was saying that BS this and MF that and frickety frackety and frackety frickety. You want to know why? Because Mayor Norquist had a good and a deep and a rich relationship with the black community. Now he, him and R. Jones didn't get along. Let's be clear about that. But mayor Norquist was an original supporter of the Milwaukee parental choice program. And you don't get white Democrats to say anything positive about the school choice program because he knew he's like, you got to have good neighborhoods. You know, you got to have a, a thriving uh, you know, economy in your city and you need good schools. I think we've abandoned some of those principles and had Mayor Norquist not gotten me to it. I promise to God, he'd still be the mayor. He'd still be the mayor. Didn't nobody have no plans to get rid of him. In fact, he had to get rid of himself and he stepped down like he didn't get recalled. He was just kind of embarrassed. He got his hand caught in a cookie jar. He was. Do you all remember that story? How Mayor Norquist had a this person in his office and he was. You know what I mean? He was doing some stuff with her. Now, it was consent. Did you say fellatio, Carrie? Probably some of that. Yeah, probably. That's fine. I mean, whatever. It's, you know, whatever. I mean, come on. What do you want? And do, whatever. He's getting a little bit of little action. And then because she was, um, she had a lower position in the office. That's why it's sexual harassment. Even though it was consensual, if you're, 
if you occupy a top position in an office and you involve yourself with someone who has lower professional status, it's automatically sexual harassment. Then she sued the city and, t- and Mayor Nork was like, no, this ain't the taxpayers fault because we would have paid the lawsuit as taxpayers. But Mayor Nork was like, no, I'll pay her out of my pocket. I'll empty out my campaign account. I got a bunch of money in my campaign account. I'll give her all the money in my campaign account to use for reelection. So the taxpayers don't got to pay for my mess up. And that was it. Then he left. Then Marvin Pratt became the acting mayor and Tom Barrett saw an opportunity. He's like, well, I can beat the black guy. And Tom Barrett did. He beat the black guy. Those were days that I don't want to relive. Cause I work for Tom Barrett in two different capacities. In fact, he, took a chance on me because I don't even know if I would have taken a chance on me, quite honestly. So I can't be too mad at him. But when the the mayor's race in 2004, I remember that was a big year because that was the war in Iraq was going on. War in Afghanistan was going on. We were still just three years away from or three years out from September 11th. The country was very, very different back then. And so you had the Kerry Edwards campaign that fall and you had the mayoral election, these clash of political titans in Milwaukee, Tom Barrett, who had represented different parts of this city in the state assembly in the state Senate and in Congress for hell, 10 years at that point, 20 years. And then you had Marvin Pratt, who was just the quintessential black statesman. They don't make them like Marvin Pratt no more. Oh, I wish we need a Marvin. Now Marvin would go to the scene of a crime and a homicide, he'd bring his common council presidency podium and he would he would share his concerns and his disgust right there in the neighborhood. We don't really have that anymore. We don't have his sensibilities anymore. Marvin Pratt would see somebody. I don't even know how the hell the man did it. He would he was always loved. Wherever Marvin went, people's coming up to him and hugging him and shaking his hand. But like he knew everybody and like he knew your mama. Hey, hey there, hey. He had a little bit of that Texas twang, a little bit of a Southern accent. Hey, sure. Well, how you ain't and them doing? Oh, they doing. I right, tell more Marvin says hello. I'll be by there on Thursday. Probably. Okay. All right, then. Okay. I'll see you. Right where right now in my studio. Oh, who is? Oh, that's Joe. Oh, yeah, he is. Here. He's here. Like he's going over at 620. That's Wait a minute, you mean to tell me that Cavalier Johnson is in the building and he's over talking to Steve Scafidi? And oh, no, they have that thing today. They have their, um, yeah, the WTMJ 2023 conversation. Are you serious? No way. Wait. That's bogus. I can't say that on the air, can I? I, no, 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 I ain't taking responsibility for that. Uh-uh. Somebody go get a picture of them. Where are they at? Are they like out in the common area? Is he in the studio? Should I go get a, I want to see, I want to get a picture of them posted on my Facebook. The mayor in the 620 TMJ studio. All right, I'm taking a break. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. It's The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth. The Truth app and 1017thetruth.com. Let me read some of these text messages. Kyle, can I say that on the air? Maybe I shouldn't say it on there. Y'all got to be careful when you talk to me when I'm doing my show and y'all share information with me, I'm likely to share it. Maybe it was just a random occurrence. Maybe it's nothing personal. 
Why would the mayor be mad at you, Kyle? He's probably mad at me. All right. Mike from Mill Road says, did you see Gabrielle Union's NAACP award speech thoughts? I did not. Carrie, did you see Gabrielle Union's NAACP award speech? Gabrielle Union, Mike from Mill Road asked me if I heard Gabrielle Union's NAACP award speech. I don't know. Let's. And then Mike from Mill Road says she was comparing gay rights to black rights or at least speaking on the intersectionality of it after getting an award for changing the child's gender. Can we, is it long? It, can, it No. Yeah, can try and find. I want to hear it. Mike, I'm going to play it. I, I think it's an uncomfortable thing for black folks because we have just raised to be really homophobic. But if we're pro-black, don't we have to be pro-gay black? Or how do you be pro, pro-black pro and anti-gay when there's a black gay person? Like, do we divorce the gay from them and just see them as a black person? But you can't divorce the gay from them because they're getting oppressed because they're gay. Or do we only see the fact that they're getting oppressed? Because we still think the gay is a choice. Is that what black people do? Like, I'm trying to evolve. Like, I don't want to be ignorant anymore. I don't want to be stupid anymore about and being blind to the fact that intersectionality actually exists. Like, I don't want to be one of those people where the world just passes me by. The world is getting much more complicated. And I know that I'm getting to the age now where I just don't understand a lot of stuff that I see. But I still have to know about it. Like, I still have to fight for people. And so if you're black and gay, I fight for you. I'm not going to say, well... I'm not, you might as well get hung. No, no, no. Here's a gay black one. No, go kill them, but save the rest of us straight, heterosexual, cisgender black people. I can't do that. And it's, it's a failed movement for us. If we're not inclusive of all black people, we have to be. I know you don't want to be, but we have to be. Otherwise, we will suffer too. We can't sacrifice some of our people. We can't say, well, because they're gay or because they're trans, they're not included with us. Oh, yes, the hell they are. They absolutely are. And I'm evolving to accept that more than accept. I fight for these folks. I want everybody to just be able to live their best lives free from oppression and free from judgment from other people. And that's not too much to ask for, because that's all we as black folks have been asking for. But now we have to be much more inclusive. And I know you don't want to be. I know y'all want your black movements to be pure, don't you? But we need gay folks. It's not enough of us. We need trans folks. You know what else we need? White folks. You know what else we need? Immigrants. You know what else we need? Latinos and Hispanics. I know you don't want to see it that way. That's why the hell we as black folks don't get nowhere. That's why the hell no one ever has to take us serious. They don't have to. Intersectionality kills black movements. Because it's almost like we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Just fight for all black people. The rich ones, the poor ones. Well, maybe not the rich ones. They're fine. All 27 or 30 rich black people. 26238 says. Um, we have some problems with the Milwaukee Choice Program. I already know. What your frame of mind is, 262388, because you sent me an UrbanMilwaukee.com article. It is a liberal, progressive, communist rag. They got they got one or no, not even two. They got one writer that's well, no, because I had to check him, too, because I did a poll. My organization did a poll and it showed 
the results of the mayor's race. But so we, my organization predicted the mayor's race like within a point, right? And I published my poll in urban Milwaukee. That was wrong. His methodology was wrong and it was too weighted with conservative voters. And it was exactly as the results within the margin of error of the results. And Jeremy Janine did not print a retraction. So anything from urban Milwaukee is going to be fundamentally flawed. Grant says the mayor is in the building and I have to turn over to 620 AM to hear from him. That ain't right. Yeah. That's what Kyle was just telling me. So apparently the mayor, <laughs> the mayor is here at the good karma brand studios, but he's over at WTMJ 620 Cause they're doing like this annual thing, whatever. But apparently the mayor didn't shake Kyle's hand. He gave him a fist bump, but then he gave an actual handshake and an embrace to one of the Caucasian radio hosts over at 620. I, maybe it's coincidence. I don't know. Maybe the mayor was listening to us on the way over. Cause I know the mayor's security guard. I know the mayor's security guard for 25 years. So he came over to the window and Joe said, what's up? But not even if I was, you know, being honest about the mayor, Joe would still be cool with me. So yeah, I don't know. Um, is Zach in there? Zach, what'd you just send me? What is this? Do I need to read it? That's a tweet. I don't need to read it. Okay. Let's talk to, oh, Lord have mercy on my soul. Here we go. Miss Rose? Yes, I just wanted to chime in on your thought process. You start talking about, see, if we look at everybody as a human being instead of all their individual needs and thought process of whom they are, that would be the best way to look at it. Because you have a right to not have to go through where if a person says he wants to be a being or he wants to be a spider, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with him as a human being or her as a human being. I'm not going to go through changes, worried about did I give the right terminology for an individual. That individual is a, a, a person who decided they wanted to do their own thing. And if you have a million people with a million different beings of what they want to be, I'm not going to try to remember each of those. The main thing is, and this is why I think we're missing the boat, is that they are human beings. And being a human being is what we, sh- being is what we should be concentrating on. That's what they as an individual want. That's their personal thing. And therefore, I, uh, I have a problem when people get upset because you don't call them by what they want to be, whether it's a human being, not a human being. They don't, if they don't want to be a human being, that is their perspective. But I'm going to treat everybody as a human being from what I know a human being is supposed to be, male or female, period. So, Miss Rose, if, a, if somebody mm-hmm. who looks like a woman wants to be referred to as a he, you wouldn't do that? Let me explain to you. If I if I didn't know what they were, which I have mistaken a lot of he's for she's and she's for he's. Okay. Like they mistaken me for he. I said I'm a she. I'm a woman, full grown woman, full grown woman. The way I look. Yes, and see, I, my thing is, if I can handle it, why can't they handle it? If they want to be what they want to be, and they get mistaken for what they don't want to be, that's their problem. But they are still a human being. And that's what I think we should be focusing on, not all the individual thought processes of, of their fictitious mind that they have been so uh, damaged by on a social basis 
that is pathetic and by you encouraging them by accepting it, it gets worse and worse instead of better and better. Well, then I'm going to do that because I'm going to accept people. And so if I'm encouraging somebody to be themselves, then I'm going to do that because it doesn't cost me anything. Like I'm not that insecure about who I am and, you know, my pronouns that I don't like, I don't have a problem with that. If that's how that person feels comfortable, then that, like, that's not for me to make that judgment, Ms. Rose. That's not for us to judge. If somebody wants to be referred. You know what you're doing? Oh, Lord. What what you're doing? What am I doing? You're disrespecting other people's rights to not to as well. Like a person has a right to be called something. A person has a right not to be called something. You're right. So you got the same right. Sure. So I I might want to be referred to as an African-American man, but a white person might want to refer to me as an N-word. And I got to respect the fact that he don't want to call me a black man. He want to call me an N-word. Right. So that's basically what you're saying. If somebody says this is how I want you to refer to me and you say, no, I'm going to refer to you the way I want to. Same thing. Yeah, people tell me the same thing because I don't like the N-word terminology. Mm. But they still use it in front of me when they want to think they can get me mad. But I don't get me mad because it doesn't matter what you call me. I know who I am. And you're mm. right in one sense. I'm not like hung up the, uh, the terminologies or fear that somebody might think me I'm one of that, whatever that is. My whole thing is I'm a human being. A human being who, as far as I describe myself, is mm. a black female right. who... It's full woman. woman. And I don't like the term girl. And uh, men have a turn, tendency to call grown women girls. Because it, well, how they got away with it was because grown women, they were really dealing with girls, and that way you wouldn't know what they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger picture than all Miss Rose, how do you feel about the gays and the trains? How do I feel about them? What do you mean how I feel about them? They're human beings. Okay. Do you That's accept them? When you're a human being, you should have the rights as a human being to be a human being. All right. Do you accept Period. the gays as I gay? I accept people. All right. What I don't care if they want to be gay. They can be gay. You know what? I, I, used to, I used to sing the song when I was in the theater. I'm so happy I feel pretty and gay. And it has a different connotation now. Can you sing Rainbow a little bit of it for us, Miss Rose? For just a little bit. Just sing a little Pardon? bit. Can you sing just a little bit of it? I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay. And pity anybody who isn't me today. See, that's how, these are things that you get, you, you're exposed to, but everybody has a different connotation and description of a terminology. And we shouldn't have to be forced to accept someone else's when they want to change it. Just like, look at all these uh, young people, they're, they're changing the language of totally. Who created the term, that's my bad? All of a sudden, I, hear, I see nothing but white people hearing say, my bad. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody has their own distinct individual expression. You're right. I that's what my they bad. Want to that's true. I don't know. Uh, haven't you heard that? Yeah, I've heard it. It's if been it's around since saying, forever. I'm sorry they say my bad. That's not, Miss Rose, people have been saying that for 60 years. Well, I've never heard it before. Okay. Until within the, this uh, millennium, I'll say. Okay. I've never heard my bad. Because they always said, I'm sorry, or excuse me. Well, you know, as and time goes on, Miss Rose, I bet you there were probably words and there was slang that you used that I bet your parents didn't like. They didn't understand you one bit. I don't want to get to a point where I'm I, getting I so stuck in my ways where the world is passing me by. I, I want to still stay. See, I didn't use slang. I wasn't raised on slang. 
Okay. I was raised in you didn't you didn't talk one way around your friends and one way around your parents at home. You didn't do that. No. Oh. Okay. No, because I didn't talk. I didn't use terminology. That I had to do that. Right. The people that I was surrounded by basically were people that pretty close to. I didn't like the way they talked many times. Now I understood music when they innuendos okay. instead of being completely bringing out the the physical anatomy. Okay. I like the innuendo. I didn't like the physical anatomy because it left up to you to think of what you want to think. But when they put the words out there, then there's no other way to think but one way. We got to leave it there, Miss Rose. I got to take a, a break. A whole heap of things. Okay, dear. All right. I enjoy talking and sharing thought process with you, but be open, more open-minded. Don't Me be open-minded? Yeah, you're, because you see, you're trying to say others should have to. Rest- I don't have to take it. Uh, whatever, use a word that somebody else. The only time. Yeah, but I then don't expect somebody to give you, you the same called. respect. I think respect needs to be mutual. That's all I'm saying, Miss Rose. I do. I give respect, but okay. I just, giving respect doesn't mean I have to. If you call, I, there's a guy I know. He oh. has a name that I can't stand. That he calls himself. I said, I'm sorry, I can't call you that name because it's. Uh, something that is my what uh, my thing my principles are come first. Okay, with what That's, comes out of my mouth. Uh, fair enough. I don't have to worry about what comes out of yours. You know, right. I might not like it, but I gotta go now. It's Rose. I got to go. Okay, let me take care. Have a good day. What the hell? What is? What was that? Carrie, I want you kids. Is it possible for y'all to get the sound clip of her singing that song? I'm gonna make her wear that for the rest of her life. Talking about she feels pretty and happy and gay. All right, Miss Rose. You just got a new pronoun today, Miss Rose. The, they, them. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Reggie says. <laughs> Will Miss Rose earn the vaunted Felicia Award today? No, I didn't hang up on her. For the last probably five years, 90% of my conversations with her have ended with me hanging up on her. Because she starts off so pleasant. It's fake, though. Oh, hello, dear. I want to chime in on your thought process. And then she says something outrageous, and then I respond and goes downhill from there. Wesley says, good morning, Mr. Sherwin. It looks like Bob, the saxophonist, just found himself a lead singer, Miss Rose. Oh, Carrie, I need it. I need the clip of her singing that. Is it hard to get? Do you have it? Oh, do it. I need to hear it. Do it. I want to hear it. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Miss Rose about to be famous. She going to get a record deal off of this. I feel pretty, oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and and pity anybody who isn't me today. See? Oh, good God, yes. I need to hear that once a day. Y'all going to be careful what you say on these airways because I I'd snatch some audio from y'all. Oh, that was so good. The caller says 101.7% Miss Rose. I just refer to them as their name and you can't go wrong. Miss Rose didn't like the way Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington 
and the Hepcat spoke back in the day, Professor Hughes. It doesn't every youth use different terminology than their parents. We all do, whether we want to admit it or not. Now, granted, for Miss Rose, that was a damn long time ago now. But we speak, we use different words and different terminology than our parents because I don't speak like my parents and these youth today don't speak like me. That's just the evolution of language and slang. And it may not even be considered slang to some people, but how you speak and how youth culture reinterprets vernacular and language and diction is is different than their parents. Like, what were my parents saying? Yeah, give me five on the black hand side. You jive, turkey. I know nobody talk like that. Now, what else they used to say? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't even know what the hell they used to say. I got a diamond in the back and a sunroof top. Nobody talk like that no more. All right, let's see what we got here. Gerardo says, Sherwin better get the contracts ready. Vocals by Miss Rose, Bob on sax. I'll bring my keyboard and we can show up all on Monday. No, sorry, I can't. I wonder how Bob and Miss Rose would act around one another. What if they started dating? I'm over here trying to hook up Miss Shaq and Winky Blue. Maybe I'd hook up. Miss Rose's beautiful vocals with Bob's one arm saxophone playing. The caller says these youth today do bite slang from the 90s like they try to bite the music. Professor Hughes. Oh, so y'all all want Miss Rose and Bob to perform together. Can you have Miss Rose sing some Billie Holiday with Bob playing sax next Monday? No, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. This whole segment was pretty much about nothing. So, Carrie, do we have time to play the Gabrielle Union clip or should we play it in the next segment? How long is it? Because I want to hear it. All right, so I'm going to take a break right now. We're going to come back with the Gabrielle Union's NAACP Awards acceptance speech because Mike from Miller Road asked me if I had heard it. I had not. So we're all going to listen to it together. That's going to be on the other side. The Truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Thank you, Derek and the NAACP. It's, it's humbling to stand here surrounded by friends and heroes, OGs and icons, all working to advance the lives of black people and pay respect to an organization that has led us through over a century of relentless challenge, pain, triumph, and change. And now stands with us again at the foot of a very new era of activism. A new era that demands our collective answer to one simple question. Will we fight for some? Or will we fight for all of our people? Let's just name a couple hard truths. First, the intersection of black rights and the rights of the LGBTQIA, trans and gender nonconforming people continues to be rough. 
It's a huge understatement. Even as we demand equality at the top of our lungs, we consistently fail to extend our advocacy to protect some of our most vulnerable among us. And, and second, black trans people are being targeted, terrorized, and hunted in this country. Every day, everywhere. And there's rarely a whisper about it. We honestly don't approach this work as, as, as activists or leaders as, as much as we do this as parents. Parents who love our children and will do, will do whatever the hell we can to, to, to keep them seen and secure and safe. This is a conversation worth having in ways that can actually build bridges, right? That don't fan the flames of hatred or division. That don't enable lawmakers or justice systems to look the other way when black trans people are under attack. They don't drive more young people to hate themselves or harm themselves. They don't cost people their lives. So we are humbled and we are hopeful for the future. I'm hopeful, we are hopeful that we may witness a real shift in the fight for justice. The moment the movement makes room for everyone. Everyone. Thank you. I think that speech was profound. At some point, this younger generation, which is much more diverse across a variety of different intersectional spectrums, they are going to create a movement leaving folks in my generation and folks older than me out. Because you got to keep in mind, it is their world. I had my opportunity to make my most long lasting and durable impact on this world. I'm settling into my old age now, especially as a black man who's almost 50 years old. I ain't got all that much time left. So if that is where the movement is going to go, if that is where it is evolving, who am and who the hell am I to stop it? I'm, I'm the old dude now. I'm not at the forefront or at the cutting edge of things. I have conversations daily with people who are basically of my generation that can relate to to us and our perspectives based upon the world that we saw. We got to keep in mind the world that we saw that we grew up in our developmental environment only exists in our memories. Our reality growing up in the eighties and the nineties doesn't exist anymore. We can write books about it. We can watch movies about it, but it doesn't exist. And I think that's part of our problem as folks who are a little bit more seasoned we look at what we did. We looked at our best practices and we looked at what worked. And some of that is transferable to the modern times, but a lot of it isn't. The Internet basically wiped out all of our methodologies for how we got stuff done. If that is where the movement is going, if it is more inclusive, if it is growing in size and scope. And when I say it's growing in size and scope, it is inclusive of all black people. Even the ones you don't like. And maybe it's uncomfortable for us as black folks. 
to know that there are people that also have this black skin, but also deal with different ways in which they can be oppressed. And I can see how that can be a lot for us to deal with because we just want to deal with being black. We don't want to deal with some of the other. A black trans woman was just killed in Milwaukee and nobody even cares. And I think some of us are okay with that because they're trans. And if we're going to sacrifice some of our people because we don't like how they live their lives, then ain't none of us worthy of getting any kind of benefit or any kind of salvation. That's not how it works, y'all. You can't be in an oppressed group and then oppress your own people in that group because you don't like the people that are in your group and you're all oppressed. You know how uncomfortable it must have been for white folk, our Jewish brothers and sisters, to be on those buses with us going through Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia on a freedom rise? Do you know how uncomfortable they must have felt around all them black folks, even though they were there for a righteous cause? They got over the fact that they were a little bit uncomfortable because they were all fighting for a cause much larger than any one of them. I don't think. The heterosexual, cisgender black folks who still have to fight to be recognized, to be seen, to be heard, to be given opportunities. I don't think we would get on a bus full of black gays. I don't think we would. We wouldn't get on, even though we're all driving toward the same goal, the same destination of freedom and opportunity and salvation and freedom from oppression. We wouldn't get on the bus with them. And that's our problem. Like, that's our fault. So don't wonder why people don't take us seriously because they don't have to. We will sacrifice some of our own people just because we don't like or agree with their lifestyle. Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you who you should and who you shouldn't like. But please don't wonder why our movements fail. Please don't wonder why black people and black progress just seems to stagnate. Don't please don't wonder. But again, I'm an old person now. I'm just. uh kind of long for the ride. I had my opportunity to have profound influences on the world. And I'd like to think that when the window was open for me to make those profound influences, I made them. But now the world is passing me by. Intersectionality is very real. In fact, some of the world is now turning very anti-capitalist. I grew up in a capitalist system. Hell, I love money. I dream about money. I think about money. But now I know that that's also a part of the oppression that's built into all of us as black folks because capitalism and homophobia and racism are related. And I just, I accept that, that how I grew up was, was very, very different, much more limited. Like now, young people, have unlimited access to everything, including one another. They're sharing ideas that we didn't share 30 plus years ago. They are arriving at different conclusions. They are creating different solutions and they are being inclusive in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And I respect that. And to the extent they want my old butt to be along with them, guess what? Sign me up. I'll be there to show support, even though I may not understand some of the things that I see. I don't understand some of the transgender stuff. I don't understand some of the pronouns. Guess what? I don't have to understand it. I know that we're all on the same bus trying to get to the same damn destination. I don't care who I sit next to as long as they're black. They could be wearing a pink wig and a dress and have get the nails done. I don't as long as we go into the same destination, I would be happy to be invited. But the thing is, I don't think a lot of us are going to be invited because we still have these incredible antiquated views on a tech break. Come back, continue the conversation. We've got a few calls that are holding. This should be interesting. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be back for hour three.